<laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm not normally fascinated by clocks. I mean, I, uh, I need to explain. Uh, last time I, uh, I preached, on the Wednesday afterwards, we were in our Wednesday morning men's Bible study. And uh, is that a bit loud? No, that's good. I should be here, shouldn't I? Yeah, I'm good. Well, welcome to the most chaotic beginning of a sermon you've ever heard. Getting back to the clock, um, a few of the guys on the Wednesday morning said, oh no, we enjoyed the sermon on uh, Sunday, but you know, he kept looking at your watch, which (laughs) might might, might have made it look as though I'd got somewhere else to be that was more important. Whereas in fact, I was more worried about running on and being, you know, going over time. And I said, the problem is that the clock is very faint. There's a little clock over there. So, so I, I said to Peter beforehand, and you knew that clock was there, Peter. I'm, I'm going to have to have a word with Peter after. I said, I, I said, I'm going to have to make sure I remember to watch that clock. And then I get up here and boom. <laughs> so uh, there we go. So now I have, it almost looks like, you know, if you do run over, a laser beam's going to shoot out and, <laughs> and fry me at the pulpit. Um, well, that's eaten up five minutes of my time already, hasn't it? <clears throat> Let's turn to Luke chapter 5, shall we? Luke chapter 5. Whatever. Look, this is a party weekend, isn't it, uh, this weekend? And this passage is all about a party. Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink? with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you as always, Lord, for this opportunity to meet together in your house and to gather around your word. And we ask, Lord, as always, as we consider your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be with us this morning to open our minds that we might understand your word, that each one of us, Lord, might draw closer to you this morning through your word. Amen. I want to thank Peter for being so accommodating. Uh, when uh, This is the first in a, in a series about hospitality. And when Peter gave the dates that were of my last which Sunday Um, I might be available, I chose this Sunday, but then I asked if I could switch the passage for another passage, so I was a little bit of a prima donna, and uh, Peter was very, very accommodating, for which I'm grateful. What I didn't realise, genuinely, at the time, was that this is, I was going to be preaching on Halloween weekend, and this passage is all about a party. So, that's what this passage that we've read is about, and very briefly this morning... I want us to look at three people or three sets of people around this party. I want to look at the person who threw the party. 
I want to look at somebody who went to the party, and then I want to look at some people who didn't go to the party. And hopefully, as we look at those three sets of people, the people who threw the party, the people who went to the party, the people who didn't go to the party, what I'd like us all to do, I'm not asking you to put your hand up or anything like that, but as we look at these people and how they reacted to the party, see if at any point the way in which any of these people act or think or react rings a bell and whether we might have acted or reacted or thought in the same way. So just have that going on in the back of your mind. I don't want you to po- stand up and point at somebody else. <laughs> That's them right there. It's just an internal thing, okay? So the first thing then, who threw the party? Well, a party was thrown by this man, Levi, who we read about. Now, Levi is, in fact, also Matthew. His, his, either, his name is either Levi Matthew or Jesus gave him the name Matthew. It's not entirely clear which, but he is Matthew. He is the same Matthew who was one of Jesus' 12 apostles. He is the same Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And we meet him in Luke 5.27 at the point where he meets Jesus. In fact, we meet him just before he met Jesus. It says in verse 27, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. So at that point, when we first meet him, he hasn't met Jesus. Jesus has seen him at his tax booth. And Jesus goes over to him. Jesus goes to his place of work. You see, Levi, Matthew, was a tax collector. Now, Israel at the time was under the control of Rome. And the thing about the Romans was that when they conquered another nation, they said to them, we really don't care how many gods you have. In fact, the more gods, the merrier. The only thing we require is that you behave yourselves and you pay your taxes. And if you do that, then we don't mind. You can do whatever you want in religious terms. But the taxes were important. So they went and they hired people to act as tax collectors. And so this is what Matthew was doing. So we don't, what do we know about Matthew? Well, very briefly, he clearly was a competent person because the Romans wouldn't have appointed him to be a tax collector if he was incompetent. He was a tax collector in the port of Capernaum. So he was charged with collecting taxes from regular people who lived there, and he was charged with collecting duties from people coming through the port. Now, tax collectors were hated by the Jews, and Matthew almost certainly was a Jew. Why were they hated? Because they were seen as supporting and endorsing the Roman authorities because they were appointed by Rome who were oppressing the country, and they were collecting tax and sending it back to Rome. The other reason that they were disliked is that they were all very wealthy people because they were allowed, or perhaps the Roman authorities turned a blind eye, to a little bit of skimming. Because they would collect the tax and then they would send it to Rome. And if they kept a bit of it for themselves, who was to know? So we know Matthew was competent, he was probably wealthy, He was an efficient person, and Jesus came to find him at his place of work. Which, as a side note, is interesting. 
Because you don't often find Jesus coming along and engaging with a lazy person. You know, the fishermen, Peter and James, they were all fishing or mending their nets, and Jesus came to their place of work. And here he comes to Matthew's place of work. He's sitting in his tax booth. So Matthew's competent, you know, he's efficient, he's wealthy, he's not a popular person amongst the Jews, but he's getting on with his job and he's building his life and his career. And Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. And we read that Matthew got up and he followed him. So we see in this story the transformative power of God. Because in that instance, Jesus transformed Matthew's life. He said, all of these things that you have valued up to this point, your position, your wealth, your competence, all of these things, they're now swept away because I want you to come and serve me and follow me. And he did. And it's good for us sometimes to remind ourselves that the Bible is full of stories that illustrate the transformative power of God. That God can, in an instant, come in and change a situation and transform a life. We tend to be a bit cynical, don't we? Well, a leopard can't change his spots. But God can change anyone and any situation. And that really, just as an aside, is for anybody this morning who's worried about something, who's in a situation that you're struggling with or you're challenged by and it's causing you to stay up at night and worry about something. Take it to God, ask him to come in and deliver because in an instant, he can transform the situation you're in. Now, Matthew's transformed, he's He's transformed by Jesus. Jesus comes and says, leave what you're doing and come with me. And he gets up and he goes. But here's the interesting thing. He decides to throw a party. See, the other funny thing is, if you're trying to work out characteristics of Matthew, we could possibly say he might have been, there's two other characteristics that don't immediately leap out of the text. One is, I think he was modest. Because if you read this story in Matthew's gospel, it says that he had dinner with Jesus. But here, in Luke's gospel, he says, Matthew threw a great banquet. So I think, I think he was a modest man. He didn't want to say he threw a great big banquet when he's writing it. But Luke says, you know, and Luke was probably a non-Jewish guy. He was a doctor. He was Paul's traveling companion. He says, Matthew threw a great banquet. And it says in uh, verse 27... Verse 28, no, it's verse 29. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So, Matthew must also have been a popular guy, because he's thrown his great, great banquet, but all his tax collector buddies have come to the banquet. So there were a lot of tax collectors and other people there, as well as Jesus and his disciples. So we see that Matthew throws this party. Why? I would suggest he threw this party because he wanted to share with all of his friends the transformative effect of meeting Jesus. He had met Jesus. Jesus had changed his life. He was going to leave the tax collecting business and become an apostle. But before he did that, he wanted them all to meet Jesus. So he threw a big party. 
And he asked all his tax collector friends to come, and he asked Jesus and his disciples to come. Because I think he wanted there to be an informal opportunity for all of his friends to meet with Jesus. It doesn't say that he invited them all to the temple and he took them all to the temple. Now, we might have done in future weeks that we don't know, but on this particular time, he thought, I, I want to get them together. I want my friends to know about Jesus. And he did it by throwing a party. And I think there's something in that for us, in that as Christians, we are supposed to be a witness to others. And we do that by being amongst people, not sitting in a cave. So that's the man who threw the party, who went to the party? Well, Jesus went to the party, and Jesus' disciples went to the party. And it's interesting, you know, because when you think about why Jesus went, I don't know, I'm sure all of you are familiar with LinkedIn, you know, the networking, online networking, whatever you call it. I've been doing a little bit of work recently in the world of digital marketing, which basically consists of me being on conference calls surrounded by people 25% of my age <laughs> teaching me on how to do things. But LinkedIn is this huge, I think there's something like 800 million people on LinkedIn and you can connect with them and, you know, you, this guy's got 2,000 connections, you've got 600 connections and it's a way to contact them and, and see, to, to try and get business. And a whole industry's grown up of people telling you how to use LinkedIn. And one of the things that are great in this world are warm leads. I don't know if you've come across a warm lead. Until recently, I thought that was an accessory for when you're walking your dog in the winter. <laughs> Think about that one for a moment. But it's not, because a warm lead is, if you're on LinkedIn and you've got so many connections and somebody else has got a zillion connections and you go and you see that you've got a connection in common, that's kind of like a warm lead. It helps you sneak your way in. So I could go on. I could say to somebody who I don't know, hey, I see you know Tom Cox. He's a great guy, isn't he? Apart from all that Go Bruin stuff. <laughs> and so if you know him and I know him, then we've got a connection. And by the way, can I sell you this bit of nonsense you don't really want? That's, that's kind of the idea of warm lead. Well, normally I don't like to translate business talk into spiritual talk, but really, look at it from Jesus' point of view. This was a room full of warm leads. You know, he's gone to this party. Did he want to go to a party that night? I'm sure he didn't. He was a busy man. He had other things to do. But he'd been invited by Matthew to this party. And at this party, there was going to be a whole bunch of reprobates who were pals of Matthew. And so Matthew is going to introduce him and say, I want, to, I want you to meet my friend Jesus, and isn't he wonderful? And then he leaves them to get on with that. So that's why Jesus went, and why the disciples went. Lastly, you get a bunch of people who didn't go to the party. Just on this question of parties, right? Years ago, before I moved here, I was here working for a week, and it was during the Soccer World Cup, giant world global competition. I'm a big soccer fan, and England were playing. So I found that I could sit in my hotel room and watch the game, but somebody said, but if you go to a place called the King's Head in Santa Monica, they'll have it on in big screens, and there'll be loads of people in there. 
well, you know, it's, it's a pub, a bar, and probably a lot of, you know, reprobate people going there. But I thought, well, this is, so I went. And I'll never forget it, because it was packed, absolutely packed. And when, the, when England scored their winning goal, I leapt up, and everybody around me leapt up, and we're all done, and I found myself hugging this man and jumping up and down. And it was only when that little bit of euphoria wore off that I realised he was, he was a hobbit. He, he was one of the actors who played a hobbit in The Lord of the Rings. So I, I'd like to tell you that the spiritual denouement of that story was that I took him aside, preached at him, he quit acting and founded a church in Siberia, but none of that happened. I, but I only, I only tell that story because... If you do go out there, you never know who you're going to engage with. I could have stayed in my room on my own. I ended up dancing with a hobbit. That's, that's how exciting life can be. You know? So, Matthew's thrown the party. Jesus and his disciples have gone to the party. And then we have a bunch of people like this. And these are the Pharisees. And they say to Jesus and his disciples, what were you doing going to that party? It's full of tax collectors. It's full of sinners. You're supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to live a godly life. You shouldn't be in a place where those people dwell. Remember I said, which of the three groups are we in? Are we somebody who'd throw a party to, or have people round to our house? Not to preach at them, but, but to just have an opportunity to bond with them, talk to them. Are we people who go to a party if we're asked to a party? Or do we ask to say, well, who's going? You know, I mean, are they, are they all solid Christians? Or are we the people who criticise somebody else for going? My, my time's gone, I want to finish quickly. It didn't matter to the fact, it didn't hurt the Pharisees that Jesus and his disciples went. They didn't go. Didn't affect their position. But they felt somehow that they had the right to criticise Jesus and his disciples because they'd gone. Three things ever so quick. Ever so quick. Experiences I've had. I was an elder of a church once and we were in an elders meeting and one of the items on the agenda was the outreach. They were big on outreach. And on Saturday, they wanted 20 people to meet at the church, and we're going to go out into the neighbourhood and knock on doors and just talk to people about coming to church. We talked about that for half an hour. Two items later on the agenda, they talked about this lady who was in the, would come to church every week, occasionally sang in the worship. Her children went to Sunday school, but she wasn't married, and her husband wasn't a Christian. So they were talking about, should we exclude her, ask her not to come to church, and ask the children not to go to Sunday school? And I said, How, if, if you're going to do that, then don't have outreach. Because otherwise, when you do outreach, you've got to quiz people when they open the door and say, do you drink, do you smoke? You know, do you live a wonderful Christian life? If you do, please come to our church. You can't invite everybody in, and when they come in, criticize them because they don't tick every box that you want ticked. The second example was 
in England, when you, when, you, when you have a baby in England, as a family, not as a man, when you have a baby in England, it's the done thing, you have what's called a christening. And it's, it's a ceremony that's hundreds of years old, and it's performed in the Church of England. And it's, it's effectively an infant baptism. There's a font, and, they, and he puts water and puts it on the head. But for, I'm, I'm not kidding, every family in England expects there to be a christening when a baby is born. When our son was born, we, went to, we were members of an independent evangelical church that came from a very reformed background. They didn't believe in infant baptism. I, and I don't, I don't disagree with that. I, I understand that. But they said, no, we, we just have a dedication service. Well, the problem is, all of our non-Christian family and friends were expecting a christening. And so we decided we'd do both. We, we had a dedication service in our church, and then we had a big family christening in a Church of England church where all the family could come and be happy and see the baby, and it was great. And, and I got criticized severely by people in our church. We don't believe in infant baptism. You shouldn't have done that. You're encouraging people to think. But you think, if I'd have said no, then all of those family and friends who were not Christians, how are they going to perceive Christianity? They're going to perceive Christianity in a negative way. The last thing is, our church, many years ago when I was 20, we used to have a service in the morning and a service in the evening at 6.30 and then a youth service at 8. We had 70 people in the youth service. The problem was, all of the kids were missing the evening service and coming at 8. So we kind of had two churches. So to try and fix this, me and the elders said, well, what we do, once a month, the youngsters will take the service, the evening service. So we did it the first time, and it was fantastic. Then I got called in by the elders because we'd done a skit. We'd done a bit of drama. So you can't do drama in church. It's just the word and hymns and preaching. And you think to yourself, why? Why are we, as God's straining at a gnat, why are we picking the, the, uh, you know, a speck out of somebody else's eye and ignoring the, the, the stick in ours? So to, to finish, and I'm, I, despite the enormous clock I've gone over time, I'm really sorry. How do, I summarize, how do I sum this up? As Christians, our best witness is not in coming to church. It's, it's in how we react and interact with non-Christians who we meet out there. And if we're warm, loving, patient kind, happy people, they're going to ask us from time to time about things going on in the world, and we have a chance to share. If we're grumpy, bad-tempered, impatient, judgmental people, they're going to give us a wide berth. So I know this sounds weird, but to sum up, let's not be prickly Christians. Let's be warm, open, engaging Christians. Because who knows how many people we can influence for God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much because you give us so much. Help us, Lord, not to look out at the world with critical, judgmental eyes, Lord, but to look out at the world as full of people made in your image. 
Help us to engage, to be open, to be warm, to be generous, to be patient, to be non-judgmental, and bring people into your kingdom by the way we live, not by the things we tell them to do. Your precious and worthy name, amen.